Welcome to the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. This podcast will be a sharing of part of my morning routine as I prepare for the day with the Word of God. We will be partaking of Puritan prayers from the Valley of Vision, each day's morning devotional from Charles Haddon Spurgeon's Morning and Evening, and we'll be reading from the Legacy Standard Bible, which is the newest and, I believe, the most accurate translation of the Word of God. We will be following a Bible reading calendar that provides for reading the whole Bible in a year that was created by Minister Robert Murray McShane for his congregation back in 1842, and that has been a part of my daily reading for over six years now. Good morning and welcome to the morning segment of the Tuesday, November 7th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I'm Wayne Floyd, your host. The Faith Comes From Hearing podcast is a humble member of the Christian podcast community. You can find us over at christianpodcastcommunity.org. A lot of great listening over there. Over 60 well-curated podcasts, wide, wide variety of topic areas, all approached from a biblical worldview. So, a lot of trustworthy listening, definitely worth your while to get over there. I will guarantee you're going to find something over there to listen to, and there's a real good possibility you're going to find more over there to listen to than you actually have time to listen to it in. All right, well, welcome to Tuesday. We're going to go ahead. We're going to be doing our our regular Bible reading this morning, and then this evening we're going to continue on in our section about what Jesus' death meant to him. So let's go ahead, and we're going to go ahead and open up with prayer this morning, uh, the we're going to open up with our normal prayer for Tuesday mornings. It's the third day morning prayer called God, Creator and Controller. Let's pray. Most High God, the universe with all its myriad creatures is thine, made by thy word, upheld by thy power, governed by thy will. But thou art also the Father of mercies, the God of all grace, the bestower of all comfort, the protector of the saved. Thou hast been mindful of us, hast visited us, preserved us, given us a goodly heritage, the holy scriptures, the joyful gospel, the Savior of souls. We come to thee in Jesus' name, make mention of his righteousness only, plead his obedience and sufferings, who magnified the law both in its precepts and penalty, and made it honorable. May we be justified by his blood, saved by his life, joined to his spirit. Let us take up his cross and follow him. May the agency of thy grace prepare us for thy dispensations. Make us willing that thou shouldst choose our inheritance and determine what we shall retain or lose, suffer or enjoy. If blessed with prosperity, may we be free from its snares and use not abuse its advantages. May we patiently and cheerfully submit to those afflictions which are necessary. When we are tempted to wander, hedge up our way. Excite in us abhorrence of sin. Wean us from the present evil world. Assure us that we shall at last enter Emmanuel's land, where none is ever sick, and the sun will always shine. Amen. All right. Well, our morning devotion for this morning, um, the text for it is from Isaiah forty-nine sixteen. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. No doubt a part of the wonder which is concentrated in the world, word behold is excited by the unbelieving lamentation of the preceding sentence. Zion said, The Lord hath forsaken me, and my God hath forgotten me. How amazed the divine mind seems to be at this wicked unbelief. What can be more astounding than the unfounded doubts and fears of God's favored people? The Lord's loving word of rebuke should make us blush. He cries, How can I have forgotten thee when I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands? How darest thou doubt my constant remembrance when the memorial is set upon my very f- when the me- I'm sorry, when the memorial is set upon my very flesh? 
O unbelief, how strange a marvel thou art! We know not which most to wonder at, the faithfulness of God or the unbelief of his people. He keeps his promise a thousand times, and yet the next trial makes us doubt him. He never faileth, he is never a dry well, he is never as a setting sun, a passing meteor, or a melting vapor, and yet we are as continually vexed with anxieties, molested with suspicions, and disturbed with fears, as if our God were the mirage of the desert. Behold is a word intended to excite admiration. Here, indeed, we have a theme for marveling. Heaven and earth may well be astonished that rebels should obtain so great a nearness to the heart of infinite love as to be written upon the palms of his hands. I have graven thee. It does not say thy name. The name is there, but that is not all. I have graven thee. See the fullness of this. I have graven thy person. Excuse me, thy person, thine image, thy case, thy circumstances, thy sins, thy temptations, thy weaknesses, thy wants, thy works. I have graven thee, everything about thee, all that concerns thee, I have put thee altogether there. Wilt thou ever say again that thy God hath forsaken thee when he has graven thee upon his own palms? All right, well, our reading for today, we're going to be reading Ezekiel 16, verse 42, through um, all of Ezekiel 17. We'll be reading Hebrews 8, uh, Psalm 106, verse 13 through 31, and Proverbs 27, verse 7 through 9. So, Ezekiel 16, verse 42. So I will cause my wrath against you to be at I'm sorry, hear the word of the Lord. So I will cause my wrath against you to be at rest, and my jealousy will depart from you, and I will be quiet, and I will not be provoked any more. Because you have not remembered the days of your youth, but have enraged me by all these things. Behold, I in turn will bring your way down on your own head, declares your Lord Yahweh, so that you will not commit this lewdness on top of all your other abominations. Behold, everyone who quotes Proverbs will quote this proverb concerning you, saying, Like mother, like daughter. You are the daughter of your mother, who loathed her husband and children. You are also the sister of your sisters, who loathed their husband and children. Your mother was a Hittite, and your father an Amorite. Now your older sister is Samaria, who lives north of you with her daughters, and your younger sister, who lives south of you, is Sodom with her daughters. Yet you have not merely walked in their ways or done according to their abominations, but... As if that were too little, you acted more corruptly in all your ways than they. As I live, declares Lord Yahweh, Sodom, your sister, and her daughters have not done as you, and your daughters have—I'm sorry—have have not have not have not done as you, and your daughters have done. Behold, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had lofty pride, abundant food, and quiet ease, but she did not strengthen the hand of the afflicted and needy. Then they were haughty and committed abominations before me, so I removed them when I saw it. Furthermore, Samaria did not commit half of your sins, for you have multiplied your abominations more than they. Thus you have made your sisters appear righteous by all your abominations, which you have done. Also bear your dishonor in that you have made judgment favorable for your sisters, because of your sins in which you acted more abominably than they. They are more in the right than you. Yes, be also ashamed and bear your dishonor, in that you made your sisters appear righteous. Nevertheless, I will return their captivity, the captivity of Sodom and her daughters, the captivity of Samaria and her daughters, and along with them your own captivity. 
in order that you may bear your dishonor and feel dishonor for all that you have done when you become a comfort to them. Your sister Sodom with her daughter, daughters and Samaria with her daughters will return to their former state, and you with your daughters will also return to your former state. As the name of your sister Sodom was not heard in your mouth in your day of lofty pride, before your wickedness was uncovered, so now you have become the reproach of the daughters of Edom, and of all who are around her, of the daughters of the Philistines, the, those all around you who despise you. You have borne the penalty of your lewdness and abominations, declares Yahweh. For thus says Lord Yahweh, I will also do with you as you have done, you who have despised the oath by breaking the covenant. Nevertheless, I myself will remember my covenant with you in the days of your youth, and I will establish an everlasting covenant with you. Then you will remember your ways and feel dishonor when you receive your sisters, both your older and your younger, and I will give them to you as daughters, but not because of your covenant. Thus I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall know that I am Yahweh, so that you may remember and be ashamed and never open your mouth any more because of your dishonor. When I have atoned for you that all you have for all that you have done, declares Lord Yahweh. Ezekiel 17 Now the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, propound a riddle, and speak a parable to the house of Israel. And you will say, Thus says Lord Yahweh, A great eagle with great wings, long pinions, and a full plumage of many colors, came to Lebanon and took away the top of the cedar. He plucked off the topmost of its young twigs, and brought it to a land of merchants. He set it in a city of traders. He also took some of the seed of the land, and planted it in a field fit for seed. He placed it beside abundant waters. He set it like a willow. Then it sprouted and became a low-spreading vine, with its foliage turned toward him. But its roots remained under it. So it became a vine, and yielded shoots, and sent out branches. But there was another great eagle with great wings and much plumage. And behold, this vine bent its roots toward him, toward him, and sent out its foliage toward him from the beds where it was planted, that he might water it. It was planted in a good field beside abundant waters, that it might yield branches and bear fruit and become a majestic vine. Says, Thus say, thus says Lord Yahweh, will it succeed? Will he not pull up its roots and cut off its fruit, so that it dries up, so that all its sprouting leaves dry up, and neither by great strength nor by many people can it be raised from its roots again? And behold, though it is planted, will it succeed? Will it not completely dry up as soon as the east wind strikes it, dry up on the beds where it sprouted? Moreover, the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Say now to the rebellious house, Do you not know what these things mean? Say, Behold, the king of Babylon came to Jerusalem, took its kings and princes, and brought them to him in Babylon. He took one of the royal seed and cut a covenant with him and brought him under oath. He also took away the dominant one of the land, that the kingdom might become lowly, not lifting itself up, but keeping his covenant, that it might continue. But he rebelled against him by sending his messengers to Egypt, that they might give him horses and many troops. Will he succeed? Will he who does such things escape? Can he indeed break the covenant and escape? As I live, declares Lord Yahweh, surely in the country of the king who made him king, whose whose oath he despised and whose covenant he broke, in Babylon he shall die. And Pharaoh, with his mighty military force and great assembly, will not help him in the war, when they cast up ramps and build siege walls to cut off many lives. Now he despised the oath by breaking the covenant, and behold, he pledged his allegiance. Yet did all these things he shall not escape. 
Therefore thus says Lord Yahweh, As I live, surely my oath which he despised, and my covenant which he broke, I will put on his head. I will spread my net over him, and he will be caught in my snare. Then I will bring him to Babylon, and enter into judgment with him, with him there regarding the unfaithful. At, excuse me, regarding the unfaithful act which he has committed against me. All the choice men and all his troops will fall by the sword, and the remnant will be scattered to every wind, and you will know that I, Yahweh, have spoken. Thus says Lord Yahweh, I will also take a sprig from the lofty top of the cedar, and set it out. I will pluck from the topmost of its young twigs a tender one, and I will plant it on an exalted and lofty mountain. On the high mountain of Israel I will plant it, that it may lift up boughs and yield fruit, and become a majestic cedar, and birds of every kind will dwell under it. They will dwell in the shade of its branches." And all the trees of the field will know that I am Yahweh. I bring down the exalted tree, exalt the low tree, dry up the green tree, and make the dry tree flourish. I am Yahweh. I have spoken, and I will do it. Hebrews 8 Now the main point in what is being said is this. We have such a high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the holy places and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices, so it is necessary that the high priest also have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law who serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things, just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been enacted, sorry, which has been enacted on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will complete a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds, and upon their hearts I will write them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach everyone its fellow citizens, and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all will know me, from the least to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first ob obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Psalm 106, verse 13 through 31. They quickly forgot his works. They did not wait for his counsel, but craved intensely in the wilderness and put God to the test in the wasteland. So he gave them their request, but sent a wasting disease against their lives. Then they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of Yahweh. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered up the company of Abiram and a fire burned up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb, and worshipped a molten image. Thus they exchanged their glory for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God their Savior, who has done great things in Egypt, wondrous deeds in the land of Ham, and awesome things by the Red Sea. 
Therefore he said that he would destroy them, had not Moses his chosen one stood in the breach before him, to turn away his wrath from eradicating them. Then they despised the pleasant land, they did not believe in his word, but grumbled in their tents. They did not listen to the voice of Yahweh, so he swore to them, to make them fall in the wilderness, and to make their seed fall among the nations, and to scatter them in the lands. They then joined themselves to Baal Peor, and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their actions, and the plague broke out among them. Then Phineas stood up and interceded, and so the plague was checked, and it was counted to him for righteousness from generation to generation forever. Amen. All right, and Proverbs 27, verses 7 through 9. A satisfied soul tramples the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul any bitter thing is sweet. Like a bird that wanders from her nest, so is a man who wanders from his place. Oil and incense make the heart glad, so counsel from the soul is sweet to his friend. All right. Well, that is our reading for the day. I thank you for spending this time with me. I, I continue to pray that this time together helps to keep you saturated in the word of God. Again, this should not replace your own reading, studying, and meditation time on the word of God. This should come alongside it. But again, I put it out there to be an addition and to be a help for those who do struggle to be able to sit down and read due to due to illnesses. Like, like I've said before, my wife has some side effects of some of the, some of the conditions she has that at times can cause a brain fog and make it very, very hard to sit down and read. So I wanted to provide an alternative to that. That's why I started this podcast. So, so for those, I hope it helps them. But for the others, I would say to you, please, please, please be in the word of God, be in the word of God on your own. And then you can come join me in the morning and this can be extra for you. Um, if you wish to, of course. Um, but I hope you have yourself a wonderful Tuesday. Um, I would continue to implore you to do all that you do for the glory of God. And I hope to see you for the evening segment. Let's go ahead and close out in prayer. The prayer we're going to close out with is called the mover. Let's pray. O supreme moving cause, may I always be subordinate to thee, be dependent upon thee, be found in the path where thou dost walk and where thy spirit moves. Take heed of estrangement from me, I'm sorry, from thee, of becoming insensible to thy love. Thou dost not move men like stones, but dost endue them with life, not to enable them to move without thee, but in submission to thee, the first mover. O Lord, I am astonished at the difference between my receivings and my deservings, between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness, between the heaven I am bound for and the hell I merit, who made me to differ but thee, for I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love thee hadst thou not first loved me, or been willing unless thou hadst first made me so. O oh, that such a crown should fit the head of such a sinner, such high advancement be for an unfruitful person, such joys for so vile a rebel. Infinite wisdom cast the designs, the design of salvation into the mold of purchase and freedom. Let wrath deserved be written on the door of hell, but the free gift of grace on the gate of heaven. I know that my sufferings are the result of my sinning, but in heaven both shall cease. Grant me to attain this haven and be done with sailing, and may the gales of thy mercy blow me safely into harbor. Let thy love draw me nearer to thyself, wean me from sin, mortify me to this world, and make me ready for my departure hence. Secure me by thy grace as I sail across this stormy sea. Amen. All right, again, I hope you have yourself a wonderful day, and I hope to see you for the evening segment. Have a good one. God bless.
Welcome to the evening segment of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. Good evening and welcome to the evening segment of the Tuesday, November 7th episode of the Faith Comes From Hearing podcast. I continue to be Wayne Floyd, your host. All right, we're going to be continuing on this evening in our study of John chapter 14 of the Gospel of John and John chapter 14. That's where we're at. Um, And we're closing up on the end of it. We've got this evening and tomorrow evening, God willing, and we'll be wrapping up John 14 and moving into John 15 for the rest of the week. Again, God willing. But why don't we go ahead and jump right in. Let's go ahead and open up with prayer. The prayer we're going to open up with um, for from the Valley of Vision is called humiliation and humiliation. Um, And we all look at that as being a bad thing. But to be honest, if we can't come to a point of humbleness, a point of humiliation, a point of being so so humble that we don't depend upon ourselves we're not going to be saved that's that's just fact that is just fact so here we go all right so we're going to do this so again this this uh prayer is called humiliation let's pray sovereign lord when clouds of darkness atheism and unbelief come to me i see thy purpose of love and withdrawing the spirit that i might prize him more and chastening me for my confidence in past successes that my wound of secret godlessness might be cured help me to humble myself before thee by seeing the vanity of honor as a conceit of men's mind as standing between me and thee by seeing that thy will must alone be done, as much in denying as in giving spiritual enjoyments, by seeing that my heart is nothing but evil, mind, mouth, life, void of thee, by seeing that sin and Satan are allowed power in me, that I might know my sin, be humbled, and gain strength thereby, by seeing that unbelief shuts thee from me, so that I sense not thy majesty, power, mercy, or love, then possess me, for thou only art good and worthy." Thou dost not play in convincing me of sin. Satan did not play in tempting me to it. I do not play when I sink in deep mire, for sin is no game, no toy, no bauble. Let me never forget that the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the nature of the sin committed as in the greatness of the person sinned against. When I am afraid of evils to come, comfort me by showing me that in myself I am a dying, condemned wretch, but that in Christ I am reconciled, made alive, and satisfied, that I am feeble and unable to do any good, but that in him I can do all things, that what I now have in Christ is mine in part, but shortly I shall have it perfectly in heaven. Amen. All right, and our evening devotion from Spurgeon's Morning and Evening for November 7th, the text for it is from Acts 1.8 and ye shall be witnesses unto me. In order to learn how to discharge your duty as a witness for Christ, look at his example. He is always witnessing by the well of Samaria, or in the temple of Jerusalem, by the lake of Gennesaret, or on the mountain's brow. He is witnessing night and day. His mighty prayers are as vocal to God as his daily services. He witnesses under all circumstances. Scribes and Pharisees cannot shut his mouth. Even before Pilate, he witnesses a good good confession. He witnesses so clearly and distinctly that there is no mistake in him. Christian, make your life a clear testimony. Be you as the brook wherein you may see every stone at the bottom, not as the muddy creek of which you only see the surface but clear and transparent, so that your heart's love to God and man may be visible to all. You need not say, I am true. Be true. Boast not of integrity, but be upright. 
so shall your testimony be such that men cannot help seeing it. Never for fear of feeble man restrain your witness. Your lips have been have been warmed with a coal from off the altar. Let them speak as like heaven-touched lips should do. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand. Watch not the clouds, consult not the wind in season and out of season, witness for the Savior. And if it shall come to pass that for Christ's sake and the Gospels you shall endure suffering in any shape, shrink not, but rejoice in the honor thus conferred upon you, that you are counted worthy to suffer with your Lord, and joy also in this, that your sufferings, your losses, and persecutions shall make you, shall make you a platform from which the more vigorously and with greater power you shall witness for Christ Jesus." Study your great exemplar and be filled with his spirit. Remember that you need much teaching, much upholding, much grace, and much humility, if your witnessing is to be to your master's glory. All right. Like I said, shoot, I didn't scroll all the way down. There we go. Like I said, um, and hang on a minute, I actually wanted to look something up. Um, and I'm sorry about this. Um, Sorry, I wanted to. Sorry, and I don't I don't mean to take up this kind of time, but I needed to. I had one last verse I didn't look up. Um, that I was just thinking about that I didn't put in my notes. All right, there we go. Now we're ready. Okay. So again, we're in John chapter 14, and again, um, we're coming towards the end of it. Um, like I've said before, and again, I'm not going to get into detail with it. I'm not, not going to go nuts with it because you guys have heard me ad nauseum, and I, and I know it drives you nuts. But, you know, if we don't understand where the disciples are coming from, it, it becomes kind of confusing as to what Jesus is trying to do. And again, Jesus is trying to comfort them. Their world's coming down around them. Um, because their Savior, their Messiah is about to be murdered. He's about to be betrayed and murdered. And that just has floored them. They don't get it. And they know that Peter's going to deny him. They, you know, they know all of this that, that's been building up through three years, all the way up to this, you know, the, the resurrection of Lazarus and then the triumphal entry where he's proclaimed as King of Israel by the people yet. Hey guys, by the way, I, I, you know, Hey, that's all great, but guess what? I'm going to be betrayed by one of you 12 not not anybody else by one of you guys and i'm going to be murdered and let's see peter the big guy who can't ever seem to not talk is going to deny me and here i am going to wash your feet which was just unheard of i mean it was truly unheard of and so here they're breadwinner i mean and, and i don't mean that in, a, in an ugly mercy mer sorry an ugly mercenary way. I mean, it wasn't that, that, oh my gosh, this guy's my meal ticket, but, but he has been, they've been three years away from their jobs. And all of a sudden they're like, now what, you know, I, I mean, so they're, they're at a loss at a real loss and understandably. So, I mean, I'm not saying that to belittle them. I mean, we'd be the same way, um, no matter how much we try to claim we wouldn't be. So he's tried to comfort them. We've seen that through John 14, John 14 is comfort, 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 comfort throughout it. 
And we saw the comfort for the troubled heart. We saw the legacy of Jesus and the presence of the spirit, the presence of the son, the presence of the father and the presence of the truth. All of this through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then we saw that the verse, verse 27, about the supernatural peace, the nature of peace, the source of peace, the contrast to peace and the pursuit of peace. And so we came into these last four verses and it's a section titled, and again, believe me, I don't come up with these titles, but, but they're, they invariably are very accurate. I get them from a theologian and from his commentaries. Um, but he called this section, what Jesus death meant to him. And again, like I said before, we don't really think about that. We always think about what it means to us. And it's critical that we think about what it means to us. Cause that actually it's at the core of the gospel. It is the, at the core of our faith that will he, that we believe he died to pay the debt for the sin you and I owe. And by him paying that, we don't have to pay that. Thus, we are in a right relationship with, with God. We're no longer at enmity with him, at war with God. We're at peace, like we talked about back in verse 27. We're at peace with him, and therefore we have a saving faith with him. Therefore, we have eternal life with him. So, you know, so that's core. I mean, so so I'm not saying it's wrong that we don't that we think about what Jesus death means to us. But we don't ever really think about when I came across this section, I was just like, you know, I never really stopped and thought about what does Jesus death mean to him? And so Friday night, this past Friday night, we talked about how it meant that his ministry would be vindicated. Verse 28. So let me read verse 28 through 31 and we'll, we'll dig in. You heard that I said to you, I go away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it happens, so that when it happens, you may believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me. But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. Get up, let us go from here. So again, like I said, we saw that his ministry would be vindicated, verse 28. Um, making clear. He's going to be going to the father. His reascending to the father means he is completed. He has done his mission. Um, and it vindicates the fact that he's been, you know, he's been stating from day one that he's only doing what he's doing because, well, he's doing what he's doing because the father has shown him it, that the father has told him that we, we see that throughout, we've seen that throughout this gospel of John and it's through the other gospels that Jesus is doing what he's doing because it is God's will. And because, and he's teaching what he's teaching because it is God's word that he's teaching what God has told him to teach. So he's being vindicated because he's going to be going to the father. And that's what he's saying. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced. You would be rejoicing because I'm returning to my father, you know? Um, but of course, all they're thinking about is themselves. Understandably, we would be too. So not disparaging, but again, they're thinking about themselves. So, so there's nothing to be joyous about it, but his ministry would be vindicated because he'd be returning to the father. And he's not, he wouldn't be returning as, yeah, I'm sorry, dad, I failed. No, it's not that he's being vindicated because honestly, his returning to the father makes clear that everything else, because he has said he would do so makes clear that everything else he said is true. Now, again, verse 29 through 30, a, his message would be verified. I'm going to read it again. And now I've told you before it happens so that when it happens, you may believe I will not speak much more with you. So again, he he's making clear. And again, we, we talked about it last night. There's a number of places where he said this clear as listen, I'm telling you beforehand. So you will know when it comes to pass that I had said that basically making the implication that they would have understood 
that only God can foretell. And again, of course, the immediate response is, well, what about, what about all the prophets in the old Testament? Yeah. Those prophets were very clear that when they were, when they were prophesying, they were bringing the word of God that they were not the one prophesying. They did even Daniel himself. I mean, think about Daniel, um, and, 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 and in his, um, providing interpretation to Nebuchadnezzar for his dreams. He was very, very clear. I'm not the one coming with this. He's he very clear with them. This is the word of God, the word of God alone. Very clear. The other prophets were as well. So don't ever misunderstand that these prophets are saying that they have this word. They were very clear that this word is from God. So that's what Jesus is doing is I've told you these things so that when you see they come clear, one, you'll see that you'll believe that I am. Again, we saw that back in uh, chapter 13. He makes that I am statement that I, I am Yahweh. You're going to see that I am Yahweh. You're going to see that I am he, that I that I am God. I'm God incarnate because I'm prophesying. So it, again, it verifies the message he's been bringing. If that's true, everything else he's saying is true. I mean, I mean, again, it, 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 it is that it is that big, that that big USDA certified stamp, you know, kind of thing. So what we're seeing today, and we're dealing with just half a verse, verse 30b, we're going to see that his mission would be victorious. And I know it's like, how do you get that out of half a verse? Well, listen to it. So this is 30b. For the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. For the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. So we sit there and go, okay, well, how do you get that out of there? Well, okay. Oh, sorry wrong thing. There we go. So when he's talking about the ruler of the world, and just so you know, the ruler of the world, that's Satan. Okay. That's Satan. That's the devil. And when he's saying ruler of the world, again, he's speaking of, and we've talked about this before. He's speaking of the evil world system, the ruler of the evil world system, which, which truly includes the United States and the United States government includes the Russia, Russia and the Russian government, Iran and the Iranian government, the UK and its government and it's and, um, the Europeans and their governments. And of course there, what was, what was the latest thing that King Charles was involved with where it was basically a big pagan celebration with bulls and with a, with a, a manufactured bull and, and all, oh my gosh, just the disgusting, um, you know, um, worship of Baal, Baal, you know, it's just repugnant. That's the evil world system. And he's the ruler of it. Satan is the ruler of it. You know, the, um, Ephesians talks about it. The prince of the power of the air that, that that's, that's Satan. That's the devil. But he's saying for the ruler of the world is coming. Well, so, you know, of course we can say, well, yeah, you, you see in revelation, he's coming. No, 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 no. Um, let me read this to you. So this is the temptation. So you got to look back at Luke four. It's also in Matthew four. It's a parallel passage. So I'm going to read you Luke four, verse one through 11. Actually, sorry, one through 13. I'll read one through 13. Now, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was being led around by the spirit in the wilderness. Uh, by the way, this is after he's been baptized by John the Baptist for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they had finished, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this dominion and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. And I give it to whomever I wish. 
Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall all be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished every temptation, he left him until an opportune time. Uh, Some of the other translations say he left him for a season. So he was trying to coerce him. He was trying to tempt him. And again, you know, please, please don't ever misunderstand. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man, truly God, truly man, fully God, fully man. He suffered those temptations as well. He was tempted as well. But unlike you and I, he didn't, he didn't submit to those temptations. So the devil went away for a season until an opportune time. Well, so here's the opportune time. John 13. Starting in verse 21, when Jesus had said these things in the upper room, the supper, when Jesus had said these things, he became troubled in spirit and bore witness and said, truly, truly, I say to you that one of you will betray me. The disciples began looking at one another, perplexed about whom he spoke. They were, there was reclining on Jesus bosom, one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. So Simon Peter gestured to him to inquire, who is the one of whom he is speaking? He, leaning back thus on Jesus' bosom, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He is the one for whom I shall dip the piece of bread and give it to him. So when he had dipped the piece of bread, he took and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And after the piece of bread, Satan then entered into him. Therefore Jesus said to him, What you do, do quickly. So here's Satan again. He's come back. The season is over. He left for a season. Season is over. The opportune time has come. So Satan enters Judas. And he sends Judas to betray Christ. Because Judas knows where Jesus is going to be. So Satan has come back. So again, for the ruler of the world is coming. The ruler of the evil world system is coming. So... He's making the indication Satan is coming back and please don't ever misunderstand. I've tried to be very, very clear with you. Um, and I, and I hope I've done so that it's very, very easy, easy for us to go. Oh, well, Jesus, you know, he, 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 he was, you know, God incarnate. So, you know, the, the sufferings and stuff that he, that, that, that he went through on this world wasn't a big deal. No. No, you you were absolutely wrong. We are absolutely wrong if we misunderstand that. He felt every blow. He felt every drop of spittle that was spit on him. He felt every lash from the cat, cat of nine tails, the whip, that tore strips of flesh off his back to where his bones were showing. He felt every pound of the hammer as it drove the nails through his wrists because the arm bones would support the weight while the hand bones won't and through his feet to pin him to the cross. He felt the jolt of the wood slamming down into the hole 
as the cross was stood up and it jerked the nails where they had been sunk in his flesh. And he felt every ragged breath as he tried to lift himself to get a full breath and the constriction on his chest as he would relax back down. He felt every bit of that. Okay? But on top of that, he felt the dirty, rotten, nasty filth of our sin being laid upon him. And the abject, just pain of the wrath of God being inflicted against him to, to collect the cost, the payment for those sins he was standing in for, that he was paying the debt for. He felt every bit of that. So here is Satan coming back. He's tried to coerce him. Now he's trying to inf inflict pain on him. That's why he uses Judas. But look at this last part of this statement. For the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. What that means in the Greek is that Satan has nothing in Christ that he can grab hold of. He has no way to no kind of leverage on Christ. The fact is you and I as humans, you and I as humans, you and I as fallen as sinners saved by grace, we've got something he can grab hold of. We know our guilt, at least if we are honest about it. Again, like I was talking about that, that prayer called humiliation. If we truly know our total depravity and where we've come from, then we know Satan has a foothold to grab a hold of us. I, I'm not talking demon possession, any of that, but, but he can. He's very good from the outside at putting our former sins back in our face and showing us just how awful we are. But with, with Christ, there was nothing. Second Corinthians five, verse 21. He made God, he made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Again, Christ knew no sin. Please don't ever misunderstand that because the sad fact is there have been movies um, and books and stuff out there that have tried to indicate that Christ sinned, that he Christ was like us. Christ was not born in the flesh. I mean, yeah, he was born of Mary, but he was not conceived in sin. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit in Mary. So he was not conceived in sin. He walked a perfectly sinless life and a perf and in that a perfectly obedient life to the will of God beyond the Mosaic covenant to the true will of God. Thus, Satan has no grip on him to be able to twist him and coerce him and crowbar him and wedge him in where Christ would succumb, where Jesus would succumb to the temptations, to the, to the, to the infliction of pain from Satan. So what does that mean? Well, it means that Jesus is successful, that he succeeds even in this, where it looks like Satan is winning. He's not Hebrews two, verse 14. Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, 
meaning the children of God, the adopted children of God, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same that through death he might render powerless him, Satan, who had the power of death, that is the devil. He rendered him powerless. Again, think, think back to Genesis 3. The serpent would strike him on that would bruise his heel through Judas, through the Pharisees and the Sadducees, through, through, through the Romans. They would kill his body, but he would rise again, conquering death, thus bruising the serpent's head destroying the serpent, destroying Satan. The serpent is a representation of Satan. Again, his mission would be victorious. He has conquered death for those who would believe. He has brought us eternal life. His mission would be victorious. He's paid the price for our sins in that death. Even in, even in what Satan does to him, Satan loses. I mean, that's the thing. That's what we have to remember. Satan can be very, civil, very, very scary. The devil can be very scary. Demons can be very scary to you and I. Absolutely. And they should be. I'm not belittling that. But the fact is, even in them trying to do their worst, they assisted Christ in completing his mission. They put him to death, which meant he paid for our sins. Had he not been put to death on the cross, he wouldn't have paid for our sins. So again, yeah, it means that to us, but again, it means it to him. So not only was it victory, not only do we see that as a victory, he saw that as a victory. His mission is victorious. So that's the thing. While these disciples are freaking out and understandably so, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying G Jesus is skipping down the, down the path, tra-la-la-la-la, towards being crucified. It's a terrifying concept for anybody, even the son of God, that he's going to be crucified. There's nothing pleasant going to be about any of this, but he knows that his mission will be victorious. His mission would be victorious because he conquered death, but because he paid for our sins in his death and he conquered sin in his resurrection. All right. He I'm sorry. Yeah, he paid for our sins in his death and he conquered death in his resurrection. He conquered death for the believer in his resurrection. Therefore, Satan has no more power. Satan has no power against the believer unless the believer gives it to him, unless the believer allows himself to be dragged in. Again, I'm not saying we can be possessed or anything like that. No, if we are truly saved, there's a barrier. The Holy Spirit has inhabited us. Therefore, therefore, demons and all that, they, they cannot possess us. Not, not going to happen. Doesn't happen. But at the same time, they can bring stuff from the outside that can make us stumble and struggle. But what we've got to re realize is even in the worst they tried to do, trying to destroy God's son, trying to destroy the Savior, they accomplished his mission. <laughs> they, they, they were like his right, Jesus' right hand to accomplish his mission for God. And it makes you chuckle, but at the same time, it's like, what an amazing God we have that through that Jesus death would mean to him that he would be victorious. And how awesome is that? All right. That's going to do it for this evening. Thank you for spending this time with me. I continue to pray that this time together helps you to grow 
and, and mature in your faith and mature in your understanding of the scriptures. We are all called to mature. We're not called to stay milk drinkers. We are, we are called to mature and to become mediators, voracious mediators of the word of God. And so I would pray that this would help you to do so. I hope you have yourself a wonderful evening. I hope to see you in the morning. Let's go ahead and close out with prayer. We're going to close out with the third day evening prayer. It's called before sleep. Let's pray. God of all sovereignty, thy greatness is unsearchable, thy name most excellent, thy glory above the heavens. Ten thousand minister to thee, ten thousand times ten thousand stand before thee. In thy awful presence we are less than nothing. We do not approach thee because we deserve thy notice, for we are sinners. Our necessities compel us, thy promises encourage us, our broken hearts incite us, the mediator draws us, thy acceptance of others moves us. Look thou upon us and be merciful unto us. Convince us of the penalty and pollution of sin. Give us faith to believe and believing to have life in Jesus. May we enter into his sufferings. Let us see thy hand in the instruments of our grief, rejoicing that they are from thy overruling providence. Let not our weeping hinder sowing, nor sorrow duty. While living in a world of change, let us seek the abiding city. Be with us to our journey's end, that we may glorify thee in death as in life. We bless thee for preservation, supplies, mercies, and to thee, keeper of souls, we commit all we are and have. May no evil befall us, no sickness come nigh us, no horror disturb us. May our conscience be clear, our hearts pure, our sleep sweet, and with the innumerable company who neither slumber nor rest, we join in ascribing blessing, honor, glory, and power to the Lamb upon the throne forever and ever. Amen. All right, again, thank you, and I hope you have yourself a wonderful night, and I hope to see you tomorrow morning. Have a good one. God bless.